when they got on their face, they said, it's not about me and what I want. It's all about the mission going forward, accomplishing the mission of making disciples and we give glory to God. They prayed and the place began to shake. When was the last time you were in any sort of church service where the place began to shake? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you as we we lift up your name, we glorify you. God, I pray that you would continue to crucify the enemy of self that so longs to be pleased, longs to be fed. God, I pray that you would just do a work in my heart and each one of our hearts that we'd be humble, repentant, a longing to be in your presence. So, Father, would you just speak a word like only you can? We know it's the Holy Spirit that does the work in our hearts, and so I pray in that vein that, God, that you would do that work in my heart and all of our hearts today, that we would be more like Jesus. And so, God, I pray we'd make it our aim to be well-pleasing to you, regardless of the cost. And God, we know the cost will be high. As family and friends, co-workers, even church people will come against those who walk in truth. So God, I pray for a boldness, for a courage, for a steadfastness that only comes from You. And in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the persecution, oh God, I pray that we would stand tall. I pray that we would know that there's confidence in Jesus. I pray that we would cling to the old rugged cross, rest to the power of the empty tomb, and know that a mighty fortress is our God. I pray that we would know with confidence that on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. God, we give you the praise. Move me out of the way so that we just hear from you. Help us to leave here today on fire for you with a passion, with a determination to be determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As we live that life, may many run to the cross as well. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, looking at one verse, verse 13 today. And I pray you have a Bible with you as we mine the Scriptures, as we dig into the Word, as we hunger for the Word, as we thirst for the Word. I pray we'd be those people. And 
as you're turning there, you know, it's all about the mission that we lead with. And you know our mission here is pretty simple, that we exist to, to give glory to God, to be disciples of Jesus, that make disciples of Jesus, and, and that's our aim. And as we aim to do just that, as we look to give Him glory, as we look to be His disciple, that therefore go and make disciples, we do that prayerfully with a passion. We do that with a vision, with a hunger, with a thirst, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as that is our centerpiece. If you don't have a mission in life, if you don't have a personal mission for your home, if you don't have a personal mission for your church, you know things are, are going to get really, really bumpy very, very quickly. Because the mission guides, the mission keeps us on course. It's our rudder. And, and again, I can't say this more passionately, but it's all about the glory of God. See, everything is an outflow of pursuing His glory. If you and I, in every area of our lives, pursue His glory in everything we do, everything will take care of itself. But it's a challenge, isn't it? I'm just afraid there's so many people the reality is who claim to know Jesus, but they're good church attenders. A plane in the spiritual kiddie pool with floaties on. And they're just paddling around, meandering, floating from to and fro of every wind and doctrine. And as a pastor, that troubles me because I believe it's high time that the church begins to lead in the forefront, lead on the forefront there of the American culture as we continue to exchange the truth of God for the lie. I was thinking about this thought leading into this great verse of James that you and I will attract and produce who we really are. You and I will attract and produce who we really are. And it's a convicting thought that challenged me this past week because the reality is each week that goes by, I don't think there's a week that goes by where someone doesn't come to me either in the church or outside the church and there's some sort of a crisis, a crisis in their family, a crisis at the workplace, a crisis in the church. And we have to remind ourselves that these crises are spiritual. That if we're all pursuing God's glory, what happens to the crises? See, where two parties are involved, if one person or one party is not pursuing God's glory and they're pursuing self, what's going to happen is there's going to be a disconnect there. There's going to be a, a broken fellowship there. And James talks about this throughout the Word, that, that we are to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers. That we are to follow in obedience and count it all joy as we go through all the difficult trials. Think about that, to count it all joy as we go through the difficult trials of life. And yet the reality is we're in a spiritual battle. If your family's in chaos, if it's a mess, I can promise you it's spiritual. Someone in that family is not running hard after God's glory. They may profess to be, but the reality is there is a division there. There's a brokenness, and it's hard to rationalize with people who are walking in darkness. They're blinded. The God of this age blinds people. He blinds family members to do deceitful, wicked, slanderous things. 
even as ridiculous as, you know, covertly putting on Facebook, social media, a false identity so they can spy on you. I mean, this stuff actually goes on, and it's ridiculous. The reality is these people don't even know that others know, and yet they do this stuff. And you think about it, because if you've got to hide your identity on social media, what does that really say about you? The Bible says this, that the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Just all the division and discord that goes on, it's utter insanity. The Bible says in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, proud and arrogant, slanderous, without self-control, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, is what the Word says. Don't have anything to do with them. Why? Because you're inviting poison into your own life. You and I will become who we hang out with. These people are stiff-necked, they're heartless, they're spiritually dead. Humility is not even in their vocabulary. Repenting, apologizing, they wouldn't do it if it was the last thing they had to do. Why? Because there's an arrogance, a pridefulness. And God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He opposes. He's going to war. If, If this is you today, if this is me today, living in pridefulness, What we've signed up for, we've signed up for God going to war against us. How's that going to work out? Here's the cliff notes. If you live for Christ, you will encounter division in your home, wherever you go. You say, how do you know? We go back to the Bible and Paul told Timothy that for all that desire to live godly in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. It's part of this. That's why I'm so burdened for the American church in this next year. We've seen what's going on in our culture. We've seen how it's so easy to fall away, to make every excuse, to fall away. What's going to happen when they come to you, perhaps, if it was to come to this? I pray it doesn't, but what would you do if they come to you and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. You're going to jail. Like, what are you going to do? I pray we would all go to jail willingly, joyfully. My fear, though, is that there's going to be a mass exodus from this profession. This phony, not real profession where the heart is still rotten to the core. So if you aim to be for Christ, You and I must understand we are in a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battleground, not a spiritual playground. This is a spiritual fight, not a spiritual fashion show. It is high time that the church of Jesus Christ in America takes this seriously because we're in a serious battle. I know you probably wonder why I love the Word and I'm so passionate about it. Well, I want you to think about for a moment as we lead into our one verse, I want you to think about Ephesians. Just write this down somewhere in your notes, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. 
Here's what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and this is very key. If, if you're a true believer in Christ here today, not a false Christian, but a true one, if you're really in, this set of verses explains this so beautifully of how we are to live this serious faith life. Here's what Paul writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, the pastors, verse 12, here it is, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, let me pause there for a moment as we lead into our text today. It does not say in any way, shape, or form for the shepherds and the teachers, the pastors, to actually do the work for the people. It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. We hear about this plea for unity. Light hates darkness. The two never go hand in hand. Wickedness and holiness never go together. Here we're looking at Paul talking about unity in the body of Christ, 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is, to mature. Did you catch that? Don't miss that word. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness, the fullness of Christ. And then there's verse 14. So that. Did you catch it? The command. And then the so that. Here it is. Here's the why. So that you may no longer be children, no longer be toddlers, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Do you see this church? Do you see how important this is? The plea today, the plea going forward is that we'd be true followers of Jesus. And true followers don't live in division. True followers live in unity and oneness. And yet when we're toddlers, carried about by the me monster, that's what happens in our homes. And I see it over and over. I have these conversations every week. My home's a mess. Okay, tell me about your home. Sure enough, it's a spiritual war. Here it is. I can't make you do this, but here it is. There's just deception everywhere you turn. That's why our mission is so important. We exist to give God glory in all that we do, to be disciples that make disciples. And church, hear me on this. Discipleship is not a one-time event. It's not a youth retreat. It's not a men's gathering. It's not a ladies' gathering. It's not a book study. Those are components of discipleship, but that's just not it. It's a lifetime process of becoming more like Jesus. That's discipleship. Perhaps this question might help. Think back to your life five years ago. How have you become more like Jesus in the last five years? For some, perhaps the answer is it hasn't been pretty, but boy, I'm growing in Christ. 
And to that I shout a hearty amen. But my fear is that there's many all over this country that would answer that question. And the reality is there hasn't been any growth. And I, I believe in many instances there's been a regression. Kuiper said it like this. The greatest gift a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they're willing to completely alter their lifestyle. Did you catch that? Let me read that again. That they're willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, that's a hallelujah quote, isn't it? See, that's the disconnect here in America. We don't want to alter anything for Jesus, if we're honest. But that's the whole point of giving your life to Him. You give your life to Him saying, God, you take my life and you alter whatever you want to do. And that's where the war, the tug of war, the mean monster begins. That's why our sermon title is just a question today. And I believe it plays in beautifully with that springboard introduction, and here's the title, How's My Prayer and Praise Life? Just answer that rhetorically for a moment. How is your prayer and praise life? Answer that. How is it? How is it truthfully? Well, as we launch in here to one verse today, James 5, 13, we're in the final five verses of James 5. This is faithful prayer, these five verses, and today here's one Verse 13, ask a question, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So we have suffering and prayer, we have cheerfulness and singing praise, and we're going to see today where all of this so beautifully connects together because we go back to our verse 10 in the Bible in front of you, and you see very clearly that James says, as an example of suffering... The thought of suffering continues here. This persecution, this mistreatment. As an example of suffering and patience, steadfastness, perseverance, pressing on, brothers, take the prophets. So here's the example. Who spoke in the name of the Lord. They were determined in the midst of it, in the midst of the fire, when everyone else is running out of the fire, they're the ones that are running back into the fire. Behold, look, listen, see, we consider those blessed, happy, content, who remained anchored, steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, verse 11 continues, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord. Did you catch that? There's a purpose. There's purpose behind your pain. God's working. He's weaving that tapestry. There's an end goal, how the Lord is compassionate merciful, tender pity, but above all, verse 12, but above all, in all that you do, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that, there it is again, so that what? You may not fall under condemnation. In other words, be truthful in what you do, in what you say. Let your word be your bond in all that you do, in all that you do, above all, Have it be your bond. And then all of a sudden, you would think there's a major disconnect here because in verse 13, James asks a question. 
Is anyone among you suffering? I don't believe there's any disconnect. When you follow the train of thought here, you see very clearly what he's doing. He's speaking to people who are in persecution. They're going through persecution. They're suffering. There's a great trial. There's great tribulations they're dealing with. And again, this suffering here is not that the church didn't have the coffee I liked. That's not suffering. The suffering here is persecution being mistreated as you stand firm for the faith. Is anyone among you suffering? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Are you suffering today? Am I suffering today? Are you being persecuted for your faith? Are you being treated in an evil way for your following Christ? Again, we often see this in a home setting. Christ talked about this. There will be great division in homes when one party is running hard after Jesus and the other party is running hard after self. There's a war going on. There's a spiritual war that is taking place. Are you suffering today? Some of us are. Some of us are. Some of us are going through some dark, dark days in our families that we refuse in love, we refuse in mercy, we refuse in grace to bend, buckle, and break. But we're going to stand tall for the gospel regardless of the cost. We're just going to refuse. We've made a declaration. The stake has been driven in the ground. We won't bend in any way, shape, or form. We know our Redeemer lives. We're going to run hard after Him. And we're going to do this all the days of our lives. And we know, we know, because we're experiencing it, that the persecution, the mistreatment, the slanderous lies, the accusations, they're coming like fiery darts. But we take up the shield of faith. We take it up to quench the fiery darts. We're in a battle. It's not a spiritual playground. This really is a spiritual battleground. We're suffering, afflicted. So what do we do according to Scripture? What do you do when your family casts you out? And by the way, we think of this often, you know, over in the Middle East, a persecuted country. Happens right here in America. Happens right here in America. You get abandoned by your family because all you want to do is live for Jesus. And your witness has now exposed their wickedness. They've been exposed. What are they going to do? I've got to run. I've got to make up more lies. So, what do you do? I mean, what do you do? There's going to be some practical application here. What do you do? Not if this happens, when this happens. What do you do? Well, the Bible says right there, let him pray. What is prayer? I mean, what is prayer? Have you thought about this? If someone was to stop you today, you're at lunch, you're at the store, you're at the gas station, wherever you are this afternoon, and they say, hey, what's prayer? What do you say? 
Is it rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yea, God? Is that prayer? I mean, what is prayer from a biblical perspective? That's always our lens. What is prayer? What is it? Well, it's communicating with God. Amen. We're communicating. But when we get to the point of understanding what real biblical prayer is, real biblical prayer is, yes, giving our concerns to God. It says right in God's holy written word, cast your burdens on me, Jesus says. Yes, we cast them. We're going to see here in a moment where we're to do this. That's an amen moment. But we've got to understand this. The key in prayer is not trying to conform God to our will. The key to prayer is that we would conform to His will. That is the goal. That is the aim. Not trying to strong arm God, twist Him, grab His ankles, and say, God, get over here on my page. Here's my Christmas spiritual wish list. Make it happen and chop, 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 do it yesterday. That's not prayer. Prayer is where we run into His presence in communication. It's two-way. As one man said, it's where we do more of the listening and He does most of the talking. And He speaks to us. We open His Word. As you open His Word, you're a true believer in Christ. Man, this stuff comes off the page, doesn't it? It refreshes your soul. I told the earlier service I was driving over here today reading Proverbs 24. And then I clarified my statement that I was reading at stoplights. And sure enough, my soul was refreshed. I mean, if you think that doing what I do, that I just kind of float around on a cloud playing a harp, singing Kumbaya all week, you're nuts. I mean, there's a spiritual battle that goes on all the week for me. I got to be in the Word to be refreshed. I read Proverbs 24, and right there it dawned on me as I read it at the stoplight. There it said that the sluggard, here's what happens with the sluggard in Proverbs 24, right at the very end. The sluggard, what's going to happen to his field? It's going to be grown up with weeds, and the wall around is going to be broken down. Here's the deal. It just hit me. It hit me like a barricade, so to speak. It just right between a two-by-four between the eyes. It hit me. What about the spiritual sluggard? There's going to be weeds everywhere. The wall that protects their land, their home, the church, it's going to be broken down. You can't fight a spiritual battle while you're being spiritually lazy. You can't do it. I'm afraid so many, so many all across our country are just spiritually asleep at the wheel. Ravenhill said it like this, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is plain. And the people who are not praying are straying, end quotes. There is something about prayer that especially in the midst of suffering that we're praying, God, I want you to work in this. The persecuted church overseas, I've seen their pleas to the Lord and their prayers I haven't read one yet, not one, as I follow them, where they're praying that the suffering will end. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm praying. I'm like, get me out of this mess now, like yesterday. No, they're praying. Here's what they pray. This is how mature they are in the faith. They say, God, give us endurance. Give us endurance in the midst of this struggle. These are powerful big boy words, aren't they? 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why key number one is so important there in your notes. Key number one. When God's will is the object of my prayer life, I can be more than a conqueror in the midst of my suffering. Write that down. When God's will, very key here, is the object of my prayer life, I can be more than a conqueror in the midst of my suffering. Again, the critical goal of prayer is not that God would begrudgingly yield to our plans. That's not the goal. It's rather that we would joyfully yield to His plans. God, what do you want in this situation? Use the example of the family. And again, so many are in disarray and dysfunction and persecution if you're running hard after Jesus. Have you ever paused for a moment and said, God, what do you want to do in the midst of this? God, what do you want to do, and how do you want to use me? How can I yield to you in the midst of this? In the midst of this deception and darkness and delusion, how can you use me? What do I need to do to be more like Christ, to give you the glory as I'm being the disciple, sanctification, ongoing change? What do you need me to do? Think through that for a moment. James is not telling the audience of his day, and of course to us in our day, it's written to them, but we apply it to us, that if you're suffering, pray to God, and poof, he'll just magically, like the spiritual vending machine, poof, you're out of your jam. That's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, we want to run back to Scripture. This is the key, that we're renewed. Romans 12, 1 and 2, renewed renewed by our minds, renewed through our hearts. Romans 12 talks about the mind especially, that we're renewed by the Word of God. If you're not in truth, you've heard me say this before, how will you know what's false? If you're just reading God's Word on a Sunday morning a couple times a month, how will you live victoriously? You can't. You're going to get decimated. Well, here's God's Word. Write these down, these verses. Isaiah 59.2, Isaiah 59.2, so many scriptures on prayer. Here's a few. But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation. So visualize this, a separation between you and your God. So when we walk in sin, unrepentant sin, we're brazen, we're stiff-necked, we're saying, God, I'm going to go against you. I'm proud. He's going against us. There's now a separation, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not even hear. Did you catch that? Does that mean that every suffering you're going through is because you're in sin? No, we covered that. Because not all calamity in life is due to sin, but it can be. It can be. And perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps you're living in sin and God has closed His ears to you in your prayers. What about 1 Peter? Write that one down. 1 Peter 5, 6-7. This 
dovetail so beautifully into that. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, through 7, humble yourselves. Now again, for those that are in darkness, the word humble, humility, is not even in the vocabulary. There's such a darkness, such blinding from the enemy himself, the God of this age, the God of this world, they don't even know how to humble themselves. But Scripture commands, humble yourselves, therefore under, catch this, under, that's the whole point, we, we submit to, we're no longer that toddler at 30, 40, 70 years old, but we submit under the mighty hand of God so that, did you catch it? There it is again, another verse, command, here's the why, so that what? At the proper time, don't miss this, at the proper time, He will exalt you at the proper time. He will remove you from the furnace. There's always a plan in place on His end to hold me and you in the fire as He refines, as He prunes. There's a purpose. We read this in James. We saw it right there. There's a purpose right there in verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, but don't miss this. He's compassionate. He's got tender mercy towards His children. So that He will do what? Exalt you. Not you exalt yourself. Not me exalt me. And then verse 7, casting all your anxieties, all your troubles, all your worries, all your fears on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Cast on Him. Heave it on Him today. Don't be a man pleaser. I see so many people, even inside churches, they just please man. But they're just, whatever man thinks, we're going this direction. I don't know about you, I got an audience of one, and His name is Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's risky. How can it be risky to obey Jesus? What's risky is disobeying Jesus. But maybe those people that you're so determined to please actually can grow deeper in the Lord if you have a backbone and begin to live for Jesus like He's called you to. It's hard though, isn't it? When you're in the fire, any weak person spiritually can just go along. What about Acts? I love this. Acts 4.31 And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I love this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with what, church? Boldness. Did you catch that? How did they do this? Well, go right back up to the verse. And when they had done what? Well, they they had a committee meeting, right? What do they do? And when they had prayed, when they got on their face, they said, it's not about me and what I want. It's all about the mission going forward, accomplishing the mission of making disciples. We give glory to God. They prayed and the place began to shake. When was the last time you were in any sort of church service where the place began to shake? I long for that, don't you? And think about this. If I and you are giving glory to God in everything we do all week long, and then we come in here on a Sunday morning, and we've already been praying, and we've already been praising all week long, I believe the opportunity for this place to shake begins to grow. 
I mean, who wants to go on as business as usual? I mean, think about that. I mean, who really wants to go on as business as usual? Don't you want to do something for the Lord? Don't you want to make your life count? Don't you want to live in such a way that you're on the edge for Jesus and you're making a difference? I know that's my aim, and I pray that it's yours as well. Matthew 26 tells us right here so beautifully. Matthew 26, 36-39. Here it is. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. Be my armor bearers. And this pivotal moment is what he's saying. Watch with me. Stay awake. And then going a little further. Did you catch this church? And going a little further. See, Jesus goes a little further, doesn't He? He fell on His face. Are you picturing this? Our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. He's troubled in His hypostatic union. Fully man, fully divine. No sin whatsoever. He's on His face. And he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Did you see the heart cry here, church? Every one of us has that cup we don't want to drink. Every one of us has a cross we, we don't want to bear. And yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will we'll have the strength and the endurance in the midst of the evil mistreatment to continue on. Because Jesus said that next word, which is so powerful. Nevertheless. Did you catch that? Nevertheless. See, Father, this is what I would like. Comma, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, imagine what happened in your life, in my life, your home, my home. Imagine what happened in our church and churches all across America if we began to pray in that vein. God, this is what I would like, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what, what do you want, God? So often we're falling into the trap of consulting God last when the disaster has now imploded versus consulting Him first. God, what do you want? Well, the last part of the verse, James 5.13b, we'll call it, says this. He shifts gears from suffering and mistreatment and praying to, is anyone cheerful? Okay, so if anyone is, let him. It means to do this in both instances. Not a suggestion to pray. No, do it. Let him sing praise in this instance. Is, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Well, what does that mean to be cheerful? Is that just, you know, happy, slappy, bouncing off the walls? Well, I guess it could be to some degree. But there's no substance there, right? That's all based on, you know, so often when you think about that, it's based on your circumstances, right? 
and my circumstances go up and down. So if my mood is based on my circumstances, we're in for a wild ride, aren't we? I don't want to be there. You don't want to be there, right? Not a good place to be. No, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the first and the last. Think about that. Just think about that. He's, he's the same yesterday. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the first and the last. There he is. He's on this line of stability and security. While we're doing this, he's doing this. And we anchor to him. We cling to him. You think about that thought and cheerfulness. It means to be joyful, but it goes deeper. Even to be of good courage. Think about that. Is anyone joyful? Is anyone of good courage? Let him do this. Sing praise. Think about that. Singing praise to celebrate God through song. Sing anything? No, sing praise to God. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. Think about this thought. So we should sing praise corporately, and we do this. It's an amazing thing. I love when we sing praise to the Lord, but don't neglect the potency and the power of a personal praise life. Your corporate praise life will be in direct reflection of your personal praise life. Let me say that again, but let me use the prayer life instead. So swap that out. Going back to prayer for just a moment as we connect these dots. So here's the deal. Your corporate prayer life will be in direct reflection of your personal prayer life. Think about this for a moment. So if Monday through Saturday, we are all individually and then in our homes, we're praising and we're praying all the week long, Monday through Saturday, what's going to happen on Sunday? There's going to be an outflow, isn't it? If we just show up on Sunday and we haven't praised the Lord and haven't prayed to Him Monday through Saturday, it's going to take a while to get the motor running. Do you see the connection between personal prayer life, personal praise life, and corporate prayer life, and corporate praise life? The two go hand in hand. Don't neglect these, church. That's why key number two is so important. And here it is, our last key. When Jesus is the only object of my praise, cheerful contentment will follow regardless of my circumstances. Write this down. When Jesus is the only object of my praise, cheerful contentment will follow regardless, regardless of my circumstances. Whether you're suffering or cheerful, our response is key, and our response should always be aimed directly at God. No matter what we're going through, we want to praise His name. We want to praise Him in the storm and praise Him on the mountaintop of victory. We always want to be praising. That's why I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Just a powerful song, a simple song. But turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your circumstances changing according to what you want. I don't think that's how that goes, does it? Here's how it goes. The things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of His doxa, of His glory, of His splendor and His grace. Isn't that amazing how 
The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners, lest we become weary and discouraged in our own souls. We turn our eyes on Him. Our gaze is on Christ. I was telling the earlier service, someone told me recently that evidently yodeling helps this. I'm not a yodeler. Maybe you are. But the more I got to think about it, I thought that would be kind of difficult to be in a crummy, stinking mood if you're yodeling. Pretty true, huh? If you just think about it right now. I know it's kind of goofy, but if you're yodeling, again, I don't advise you to do it right now, but when you get in the parking lot, maybe. But you yodel, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, just think about this. Just from a, in your mind, if you're yodeling, you must be a real good, crummy, angry bellyacher if you can somehow yodel and still carry that out. I think there's some real truth behind this thought. Man, when you're singing, when you're praising the Lord, I'm singing praising the Lord even though there's so much chaos around us and there's trouble everywhere you look, it does something as you sing His praises. You know, I made a note. I said the underlying key here is to ask a question. What is the object of my praise? It's not the praise that will sustain you. It's the object of the praise that will sustain you. Do you catch this? We're humans and we're emotional. And our emotions go up and down based on our circumstances, how we feel. We got to get out of how we feel and get connected to Jesus, the fountain of living waters, the bread of life. And when He's the object, even though we praise and it makes us feel good, which is a good thing, the feeling will not sustain you when the bottom falls out. Jesus will sustain you when the bottom falls out. And yet what happens is it gets revealed what we're really anchored to, doesn't it? Which again, if I'm worshiping what God blesses me with, I'm actually living in idolatry. When I need to worship, not the blessing, but the blesser, and give Him my praise regardless if He goes my way or not. Psalm 147, verse 1, supporting verses here as we pivot under this key number 2. Psalm 147, verse 1, Praise the Lord, a command, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Did you catch that? Jeremiah 20, 13, more Scripture to marinate on. Jeremiah 20, 13, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Do you see that right there? There's been a deliverance, and the praise is not, there's been deliverance. Right there it is. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. Do you see that? The object of our praise is so key. 
How about Acts 16.25? Acts 16.25, an incredible verse that connects both of these dots together. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Did you catch this church? Where are Paul and Silas? Not a trick question, do we know? They're in prison. They're literally in those stocks where their body's being contorted in that device. There's pain. They're being stretched. They're being stretched physically. They're being stretched emotionally. They're being stretched spiritually and mentally. They're being pulled apart in this device. And their response, my response would be, God, get me out of this mess. Their response is, hey, let's pray and let's sing praises to our God. See, people don't understand this, that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your brokenness, your family right now, that's in utter chaos and utter disarray, God can actually take that for His purposes, for His glory, and take a mess, and through humility, through repentance, He can create a glorious message. And there they are in prison, and they're praying, and they're singing hymns to God. And what's the last part say? And the prisoners were listening. Did you catch it? See, when you go through your pain and I go through my pain, there's people all around us that are listening. And they're listening just not to our words, but they're listening to our actions. They're listening. Well, we have an audience that says, I want to hear what really drives you and you're in this pain and and where do you go from here and what do you do with it? Oh, wait a minute. You pray? You say, nevertheless, God, this is not what I want, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's what you do. Oh, you sing praises. God, I'm going to praise you in my storm today. I don't understand why the persecution's coming other than this. I know you brought it into my life, and so it's for your glory. It's for your glory, and it's for my good. And So I rest in you, and I trust you. Just imagine the sermons that are going to be preached all over our community as you do that in the midst of your pain. People are watching. They're listening to me and to you. That's why 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I always try to throw in an easy verse to remember. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul writes here to the oh-so-ever-compliant and godly church in Corinth. That was a joke. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. Did you catch that? But I will pray with my mind also. Don't miss this. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed. Don't squeeze into the mold of this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How to get renewed. Watching Jerry Springer, Oprah, Dr. Phil. Is that what you do? No, you, you open this glorious word, you, you dive headfirst into it. It becomes your life. 
You buy the truth and you do not sell it. In all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding. You get into a discipleship group, a Sunday school class, you mind the Scriptures, you pick it apart. That's how your mind gets renewed. I love the thought of the last verse, Revelation 5.9. In Revelation 5.9, here it is, and they sang a new song. I love this. Worthy are you, not us, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain, not us, you were. And by your blood, not our blood, by your blood, you ransomed, you redeemed, you purchased back, you paid the bounty for people, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Amen and amen. We sing a song. Therefore, truthfully, take away question. How is my personal prayer and praise life? Take away question. Answer truthfully. The worst thing you could do is deceive yourself, or I deceive myself, and now we're not accurately at a starting point to go from. We're regressing even more. Just truthfully, how is my personal prayer and praise life? Again, your personal prayer life and your personal praise life will drive your corporate prayer and corporate praise life. You get a bunch of people that Monday through Saturday are praising Jesus and are praying to Jesus all the week long, it's going to be like a stick of dynamite in here in a good way. Perhaps the place will begin to shake, not for our glory, for God's glory. I've been in a lot of churches over the years, some that are spiritually alive and many that are spiritually dead, to be blunt. And the spiritual vitality I've learned over the years of a church is not what happens corporately on a Sunday morning, but rather what happens Monday through Saturday. You know, you can only fake it for so long. And gone are the days. They're gone. I'm telling you. You're going to get called out. I pray you're ready at the workplace. They're going to call you out. They're going to call you out. If they have any inkling that you profess to be a believer in Christ, they're going to call you out. You better have a defense. Better be ready. That's why the action step is so important. By the power, that's the key, by the power, not of us, but of the Holy Spirit, I will strive. This is not legalism. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will strive to be a person of Jesus' focus. That's key. Jesus' focus. Personal prayer and praise. Not me focused. Jesus focused. By the power. Will I do that this week? Will you start that this week? Will you join me in that? I'd ask that you do. I would ask that all of us today would join together starting this day forward. You say, well, I'll already pray. Well, good. I already praise. Great. Will you unite with all of us together in this church to really be those people that we use prayer and we praise Him all the day long? Because as I said, there's so many people in spiritual bondage. In your home, perhaps. 
at your business, the ball team, and yes, even the church. And the Bible says that the enemy is the father of all lies. He's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the accuser. He's a murderer. He has nothing to do with the truth. Nothing. He deceives. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He disguises himself as an angel, a cosmopolitan of light. He's at work in the sons of disobedience. He's crafting. He's cunning. He fills people's hearts with his schemes. Knowing this to be true from God's Word. Everything I just said is what God's Word tells us. What are we to do? Here's what we're to do. Sola Scriptura. We hang on to the Scriptures. I've seen people, I've talked to them, well, I, I don't want to carry the Bible to church. It's one more thing to carry. Do you understand this? It's the one thing that's going to carry you through life. We don't need more part-time Christians in our country. We need people that are committed, that are all in for Jesus. Father, we come before You and God, I pray that as Your Word has been spoken, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart have been acceptable to You. You, my audience of one. So Father, I pray if there's one here today, maybe several, maybe there's several here today that the reality is that part-time Christianity is what they signed up for. Maybe they've been to church for their entire life, and the reality is their life is still their own. God, I pray, would you do a work only you can do? You haven't called us to make backsliders. You haven't called us to make false converts. It's very clear. As you spoke to the disciples, and it applies to us, you've called us to make disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. So how are we doing, Father? Are we on mission? Gotta pray that you do something. Stir by your power, by your might. Just do something. I pray against the schemes of the enemy. In every home represented here, we pray against him. His lies, His deception. I pray He'd have no authority in our homes. None. Zero. None in our minds. But I pray You would rule and reign like only You can do, Father. Through the power of the cross and the empty tomb. So, Father, we just pray we'd understand that Your Word is so clear. It's so clear. It's so clear. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit neither can a bad tree bear good fruit prepare us for what lies ahead help us to be so in love with you and so in love with your word that whatever persecution might be on our horizon as it looms will be anchored will be steadfast will be immovable always abounding in your work knowing confidently the labor for you is never in vain. Because as one man said, fruit really is the evidence of the root. So the question today, Father, is not how is the fruit in our lives. The real question is, 
who or what is the root in our lives. Oh, Father, move. Holy Spirit, move. Move in a powerful way across this room. Shake us. Shake us to the core that we might give you all the praise and give you all the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.